0: Alright, we're going to jump back into the scriptures this morning We're continuing, this is our second week on our series on the Holy Spirit The presence of God with us And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 1-17 through 17. So you can open your Bibles there, we'll have it on the screen in just a bit as well uh, But we're talking about building the church, which is the temple of God Building it towards unity the foundation is Christ, but we build upon that foundation as the church, as the temple of God, where God's Spirit dwells. Uh, Wednesday is Valentine's Day. So, guys, hope you didn't forget. <laughs> this Wednesday is Valentine's Day. Uh, Valentine's it sounds like a Hallmark holiday, right? It kind of is. Uh, but actually, Valentine was a real man, he lived way back, and he was a Christian pastor. Uh, he was known for two things. He was known for secretly marrying, Christians in, uh, well, marrying cr- Christians in secret, because it was illegal to sort of do it openly, and for sharing the gospel. He loved to evangelize, and he was eventually killed for it. So he's kind of a neat guy, actually. A man who died for his faith, a man who, was, uh, who brought Christians together in love. But Valentine's Day, of course, is a time in which we celebrate love. Uh, usually that's referring to romantic love. But as a church, we know that love, and even romantic love, is only a, a, a reflection of the love that we share as Christians with one another. Uh, one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to bring His people into unity and into love with one another. It's fitting that we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we think about this. Now here's the neat thing, that, that God in Christ has already made us one... And His Spirit's presence has already united us. So unity is not actually a work that we do. It's a work that God has already done by His Holy Spirit with us. In other words, friends, you're already one with every Christian in this room, if you're a believer in Jesus. In fact, you're already one. You're already united to every Christian brother and sister around the whole world. (laughs) Even if you've never met them. Even if you've never seen them. You're already united to them perfectly spiritually And for all eternity. Nothing you did or could do could make that happen more or more quickly or more abundantly. Having said that, we're then called to then live out of that unity that God has produced by his spirit. And that, I think, friends, is what I would define as love. Love is living out of the unity that we already have. In Christ, Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. I have a quote up there. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, of course, was a German pastor who was killed for his faith as he stood against the Nazi regime. Do we have that quote up there? If not, I'm just going to... There we go. He said this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. In other words, it's not something that we create by hanging out with one another and trying to get along with each other. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate so he makes us one and then we get to participate in that unity with one another now what's this all about as i said one of the primary works of the holy spirit is to bring his people together in practice in the, the living out the realization of what god has brought in us and the opposite of that divisiveness then is the opposite of spiritual maturity look with me at first corinthians chapter 3 we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 we read this. But I, brothers... This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. As a Christian maturity is to work towards the unity of the church. ...as the temple of God. Look in your bulletin if you want to see a, an outline and as, as we break this down. Especially if you want to take notes. I, I've noticed I get to talk to people who take notes. And some people have taken very extensive notes. And, and some people have shared that with me. And it's actually been very encouraging to me to kind of see what people remember... ...and what people take from the sermon. Not that you have to. If you want to just sit back and listen, you're welcome to do that too. But if you look at verses 1 through 4. Pursue unity, which is part of spiritual maturity. Pursue unity, which is part, a big part, perhaps even a central part of spiritual maturity look what he says he says i brothers so he addresses these corinthians as brothers that's important because he sees them as fellow christians he sees them as fellow brothers and sisters in christ these are not he's not saying you guys aren't christians you guys aren't believers because of all the problems there he sees them as brothers but i brothers i can address you as spiritual people and by spiritual people he means people of the spirit capital s People who are living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. I can't address you as spiritual people, but instead as people of the flesh. Worldly people. People who are living as if they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. Living depending on their own self. Living in a worldly way. Then he calls them, he says, as infants in Christ. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an infant. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with being an infant in Christ, even. If you're a new believer... And you've never come... Uh, you just recently came to faith in Jesus. And you're just trying to figure it out. And you're reading. You're studying. And you're learning. And you're, you're still struggling with some old hard, hard to get rid of sins in your life. And Nothing wrong with that. That's exactly what we would expect for someone who's a new believer. The problem here is that they're not new believers. Paul spent a year and a half with them in Corinth. Ministering the gospel. It's been some time since he writes this letter. They should be well beyond where they're at. He says here, I have to feed you with Milk. I said stick to the basics spiritually when I talk to you. Not with solid food. No meat for you yet. Why? Because you're not ready for it. And he says, And even now, after all this time has passed, and all this time you should have been growing spiritually, you're still not ready. You're still of the flesh. Why? What what is making them so spiritually immature? This church in Corinth. Why is Paul so harsh on them? What makes them still need basic milk instead of solid food? Well, he explains it. And the rest of the verse, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? They're a divisive church. They're a church that is not seeking unity, that's not living out of the unity of the Holy Spirit, but one that is at odds with each other. They're jealous of each other. They're fighting with each other. They're constantly in conflict with one another. And he says, You're behaving in an only human way. Well, aren't we all humans? What does he mean by that? Yes, we're all human, but we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We're the temple, as we said. We're, we're more than human, in a sense. We're superhumans in a sense, because we have God dwelling in us, who empowers us to do what only God can do. But he's saying, you're, you have that power, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you have His very presence, as we'll say later on. You are the temple, but you're living in divisiveness. And he gives a very specific example of a way in which they're doing that in verse 4. One saying, I follow Paul. And another says, "I follow Apollos. You're, you're, you're making so much of these worldly, lead, I mean, of these Christian leaders in a worldly way, as if you're, you're dividing based on these leaders. I'm an Apollo's type of Christian. I'm a Paul type of Christian. When you do that are you not being merely human? It's interesting, isn't it, that maturity, at least in this section, Paul defines maturity as primarily how you look at church unity and how you deal with the unity of the church. Let's put it negatively, like he kind of does here. If you are somebody who is divisive, if you are somebody who is constantly jealous and, and constantly fighting with other Christians and not looking to the unity of the church, you are a spiritually immature Christian. He's not saying you're not a believer. He's just saying you're not mature. You, you're stuck in infancy because you're not willing to move beyond that very basic thing of seeking the unity of God's people and living out of that unity. But positively, the person who is actively seeking To unite who is a peacemaker, who wants to see and practice the unity of the church and move beyond that into missions and evangelism and outreach and care for the city and so forth. That's the more mature believer. He sees maturity as clearly related to our maturity in Christ. Our unity in Christ is clearly related to our maturity as God's people. What do you think this says perhaps about denominations? Don't we kind of do exactly what he's saying here When we say I follow Apollos And I follow Cephas And we kind of divide based on, on different uh, theological positions Or a different leader Perhaps uh, you know, a, a Luther or Calvin or whatever uh, Don't we do that kind of very thing? And uh, I think we do I think there's a certain immaturity um, In the Western Christianity Specifically in this way in which we divide Now I'm going to give a positive positive. Reference to denominations in a minute, but uh, all those, those uh, little acronyms up there, those are all denominations, and that wouldn't even be one tenth of all the denominations that are out there. Um, I could probably name all those right now, but I'm not going to do that. So you got the ABC, the SBC, the BGC, I'm not going to name what the acronym stands for, I mean, the EPC, the OPC, the PCA, the UCC, the, the four Cs, the PCUSA, and then there's the UMC, the ELCA, and the IFCA. Anyone know what all those stand for? I'd be, oh, there we go. Ed knows all of them. So those are lots of different uh, acronyms for, for, for uh, different denominations. And like I said, that's only one small portion of the, the numerous ways in which we divide as Christians. The, uh, I'll give you a couple. The IFCA stands for the Independent Fundamentalist Church of America. Uh, who tend to be on the extreme uh, conservative side and on the con- con- uh, extreme fundamentalist side, uh, sometimes also known as the I fight Christians anywhere group. So, uh, but, you know, I, and I was picking on, then you got on the other side, you got the f- far more liberal, we, you know, I'm not even sure if we really use the Bible type of thing, the UCC, um, the United Church of Christ, which is lovingly referred to sometimes as unbelievers considering Christ. Uh, but I, I made that joke to somebody one time. I think it was part of the UCC, and he said, "Rick, you know you're part of the ABC, the Almost Believing in Christ group, right?" So, ooh, so we have a little a little digs at each other here. Uh, but we tend to do the very thing he says not to do, which is to divide. Uh, we have, of course, a couple of those are Lutheran. What did Luther think about this? In The next quote: Here's what Luther thought about all the divisions we have. The first thing I ask is that people should not make use of my name. And should not call themselves Lutherans, but Christians. Continues. What is Luther? The teaching is not mine. Nor was I crucified for anyone. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, where we are right now, of course. Would not tolerate Christians calling themselves Pauls or Peters, but only Christians. There's one more I think. How did I, poor... This is Luther, classic Luther. Poor stinking bag of maggots that I am. Come to the point where people call the children of Christ by my evil name. Isn't that the very thing that we tend to do, friends, as Christians? And it's not just, of course, denominations that divide the broader body of Christ that divides. It's also local churches that do the same thing. It's all about my preference, what I like. Uh, I like this particular style of preaching, not that one. I like this particular style of, of worship and music, not that one. I, I like the old way of doing children's ministry, not the new way that we do it now. I like having Bible studies and not community groups, or community groups and not Bible studies, and, and we all want our, our own specific way. But the thing I think is that the real great sign of maturity is when somebody says, you know what, this is what I really like, this is what I really prefer, but it doesn't matter what I like, I'm really more about First Baptist Church, and I'm really more about what glorifies God. That is a sign of spiritual maturity, of growing beyond our divisions and looking To the God who gives growth. As we'll look at next in the next section here. Look at verses 5 through 9. See all Christian leaders as merely servants. It's merely servants. We pursue unity, friends. We pursue unity here in our own local church. We seek to live out of that unity. To build and serve and pursue unity and to avoid devices. One more thing on devices before we move on. How do you battle against the spirit of divisiveness? Well, one, you, you sort of battle against it in your own heart. Uh, you try to be cautious of it when you feel that sort of uh, desire, that taste of gossip, <laughs> of slander, your, your desire to, to speak out in slander of someone else. And you hold it back. But really, friends, this is what they say. If you want a church that is united, there's a certain secret sauce to it. Um, and it says, it's not your pastors and your elders being united. That's assumed. If your pastors and your elders are not Having, not displaying a spirit of unity to the whole church you're in trouble All right? so that's just assume that they're already if your pastors are fighting with your elders you're fighting, your elders are, are fighting with your deacons and they're fighting amongst each other and you're in big trouble already but that's already assumed that your, your pastors and elders are modeling a sense of spiritual maturity here's the secret sauce it's when folks in the congregation and really you want to push your more mature folks are willing to stand up for the church's unity and not just sit back and listen in other words you're in a group and somebody comes up with a a certain juicy piece of gossip against a particular elder whether it's true or not maybe it's true maybe it's not and you have the choice to sit back and just listen to it and let it go and not be confrontational not say anything or you could speak up and say I don't think that's true it doesn't sound like the character of the person you're talking about and if you really think you have an issue let's go talk to him let's call him up I'll be happy to go meet with you with him that's the secret sauce, friends, of unity. When the people in the church are willing to stand up for the unity of the body. But see all Christian leaders as merely servants. As merely servants. Chapter 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? What, what are they? They're merely servants. Actually, the word there is the word for, we use for deacon sometimes. They're all diaconae. They are busboys. <laughs> is really what it means. They're just servants whom, who have helped you believe. Uh, They're nobody special. They're they're just people who are using the gifts God has given them that the Lord has assigned to each of them to help build up the body. And he uses an agricultural um, illustration which I think is really helpful in verse 6. He says, I planted. So I was great at at laying the seed. You know, at uh, getting the ground up and getting the seed into the ground. That was my job. Apollos did a great job of watering it. Making sure there was a good irrigation system. Making sure people were receiving the water that it needed. But really, friends, it's God who gives it growth. We can't do anything to actually make people grow spiritually. All we can do is the work that God has assigned to each of us. The one who plants, the one who waters, they're nothing. It's all about the God who gives it growth. Uh, In fact, he says here that the one who plants, the one who waters, and you could add the one who prunes and the one who harvests and whatever else, you could add any other worker in the field, they're all one. I mean, their whole point is to work together. You, you can't just water and not plant. You can't just plant and not water. They're all working on the same team. Uh, to choose one and raise them up over another is to misunderstand the very work that they're trying to do. And not only that, friends, we're all God's workers, and you're the field. God owns the field. He's the owner of the field, and He's the one who gives it growth. He's the one who makes the sun rise for the plants to see, have the sun. He brings in the rain. He's the one who causes the Ground to be fertile. He's the one that raises up the plants. It all belongs to him. I think it's interesting uh, what he's saying about unity in regards to these leaders. The leaders are no more than anybody else. They're just people who are seeking to do what God has asked them to do. To help build up the body of Christ. But you can imagine why the people would begin to sort of be divided by these leaders. Uh, You think about it. Paul. Paul was a brilliant mind. And he was a great uh, strategist when it came to missions and evangelism and a great writer so those who are sort of uh, really value those types of things uh, have a deep introverted academic mindset they love Paul I'm a, I'm a Paul guy um, Paul was not the best preacher actually uh, uh, at least in a worldly sense at one point it says uh, one of the, the words going around about Paul was that he is an amazing writer but in person not very impressive Actually, he was preaching in Athens in the book of Acts. And uh, the, the basically the response to his preaching was, he's a babbler. <laughs> tends to just go on babbling. Literally, it's a seed picker. Someone who just picks one subject from here and one subject from here and tries to bring it all together. The Athenians in their, in their highly educated society were not impressed with his public speaking abilities. That's Paul. He had his strengths. He had his weaknesses. Take Apollos, on the other hand. What do we learn about him from the book of Acts? He was eloquent and learned. He was silver-tongued. He was one of those guys you would love to just sit and listen to. When he preaches a sermon for an hour, it feels like 10 minutes. That's the type of man Apollos was. Probably not the best visitor. <laughs> At one point in time, Ap- uh, Paul says, I encouraged Apollos to visit you. Uh, and he decided he didn't want to, so he didn't come. So maybe he just wasn't quite the most relational people person. Uh, was focused on his area of ministry. He had his strengths. He had his weaknesses. Earlier, he mentions not just Paul and Apollos, but Cephas. Cephas is just another name for Peter. Uh, Peter is neither the brilliant mind, necessarily, nor the eloquent speaker. What is he? He's the man of experience. He's the guy that walked with Jesus for three years and knew him personally. He's the old veteran. He could tell you the stories of what it was like to sit by Jesus on the seashore. They all had the strength. They all had the differences. How are we supposed to view the, the differences? Are we supposed to pick one? I'm a Paul guy. More academic person I'm a, I'm a Peter guy I'm an Apollos guy now, one response is to say no, no no I don't want any of that I'm a, I'm a Christ follower I follow Christ interestingly enough that's not the right response he addresses that specifically some say I follow Paul I follow Apollos some say I follow Christ and that's condemned as a wrong way to go By the way, I thought that's what we're supposed to do well when you think about it we just talked about denominations every denomination was started by some people who said no we follow Christ Right? They left another denomination saying, that's not a good denomination. Let's start something new and really follow Christ. And what do they do? They added one more denomination into the mix. And so forth and so on. I remember talking to somebody before. We said, you know what the real answer is? Get rid of all these leaders and say I follow Christ. So that's exactly what he condemns in chapter 1. What is the right response then? To see that they're all yours. And they're all servants in the field. Paul, Apollo's, Cephas, they all belong to one kingdom, to one body. we can learn from each of them and every one of them. We're not divided based on them. They're all God's people, and be with them forever. You know, I, I like to try to be diverse. Um, I like to try to read diverse. I was just thinking this morning, the number of different uh, books. I like to read more than one book. I don't like to read one book at a time. But uh, sitting by my, my chair at home is G.K. Chesterton, an old Catholic theologi- uh, Catholic writer, um, uh, whom I disagree with on a lot of things, but a lot of things he's excellent with. Um, Randy Alcorn, who's probably closest to me theologically, wrote a book on, on happiness. I'm reading a book by uh, the lead pastor of uh, – Brian Hughes, the lead pastor of Hillsong. We just sang some of his – Songs this morning would be very theologically different than me. And a couple other ones too. I just finished a book by Francis Chan. I love the diversity of the body. We don't have to choose one lane. I follow Calvin. And my whole life is about learning from him. We have to recognize the diversity of the body. Grasp from all of it. Recognize we don't have to agree with everybody on every issue. One thing I like about our uh, common ground pastors prayer time once a week. uh, We pray. We can agree on prayer. Um, actually even then we have different styles of prayer But all the different pastors Some of them from Assemblies of God Or Advent Christian or whatever We're all coming together We have the same foundation as we're going to see In Christ But we have differences And we can learn and listen to one another And friends I just encourage you To do the same To be a mere Christian As C.S. Lewis called it Learn from all different areas Yes be firm in what you believe and What you know from the scriptures but, but see the body as diverse and beautiful and learn from all different angles. All Christians are merely servants. And most importantly, give glory to God. It's His field. It's His church. He's the one who gives growth. He uses different people in your life in all different ways. But it all, all belongs to Him. And He's the only one who can do anything of any lasting value. Verses 10 to 15. Build well, build well on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So he talks about us being God's field, and then he says God's building, so sort of switching the analogy, switching the illustration in verse 10, he goes and continues on this idea of us being uh, the building of God. The building of God. He says in verse 10, According to the grace of God given to me, I, like a skilled master builder, laid a foundation. So Paul's strength was planting in the agricultural world. Switch that to the building world, laying a foundation. That's what I do best. I, I can lay a foundation anywhere. That's what it did, all around the world. He went around all of Asia Minor and Greece and laid foundations. Uh, and somebody else comes and builds on it, which Paul is not upset about. He's glad that somebody else comes in and then begins to build on what he has laid. What is the foundation? Verse 11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, the foundation is faith in Christ. That is what makes us Christians. You believe in Him as Lord, as Savior, the one who has died for your sins and your place. By trust in Him, you not only are your sins forgiven, but you begin a relationship with God as a son or as a daughter that lasts into eternity. That's the foundation. Verse 12. Now, if somebody else builds on it, they can build on it with various different materials. And he mentions here gold and silver and precious stones. Precious stones might be Granite or something like that. Or they can build a mud hut on the foundation. They can build with wood, hay, and straw. There are different ways you can build on that foundation. Same foundation everywhere you go for for true Christianity. But all different types of ways to build upon that foundation. Verse 14. If you build upon that foundation um, with things that are valuable, there will be a reward. Because it will last a judgment to come. Verse 15. Uh, work, the work will be burned up. It'll be He's talking about on that day of judgment. On the day Christ returns. Uh, all that is wood, hay and stubble. Will be gone. Uh, it won't last. Beyond death. It won't last. Beyond Christ's judgment and his return. But that which is gold and silver and precious stones. Will last. Beyond that day. And he's talking about how you build then on that foundation. What do you think he's referring to with gold and straw and all these different things? I don't think he's talking symbolically as if each individual thing represents, like gold has a specific representation of one thing and, and so forth. I think he's speaking more generally that you have valuable materials that will last beyond the grave and will last into eternity, and you have things that are not very valuable that will not last into eternity, not last beyond the grave. But if we had to give some examples of maybe what he's talking about, I think the gold and silver and precious stones would be sound biblical teaching. It would be a transformed life, a, faith, a church that's built on faithfulness, on genuine heartfelt prayers, on, on faithful gospel sharing, on genuine love for one another as Christians. I think those what he's talking. About, those that—that's the gold that lasts into eternity. That goes beyond this life. Now, what would the, the wood hay and the stubble be? probably would be something like worldly eloquence you know that uh, people who are so amazed by um, Apollos' presentation uh, it would be the next fad that comes down the, the pike that you, you grab onto it would be a love of this, the things of this world you know that would be the that would be the wood, hay and the stubble it doesn't last beyond the grave now, he's not talking about non-Christians I think that's very important he's not talking about false teachers that are building here it's the same foundation, it's Christ, but some are building with things that don't really last. Things that are not as good, things that are not as valuable. Friends, build on that. Build well on this foundation with things that will last. I would say this, friends. First of all, what are you doing? What are you building with your life? Are you, what are you building on your own life, first of all? Uh, you have the foundation in Christ, I'm hoping, I would assume, if you're, you're a believer in Christ, you have the same foundation in Jesus. As he says here, you will be saved, but, but only as one through the fire. There's not much lasting beyond the grave. I mean, you have that foundation, but what have you done with that since then? What are you building on your own life? Are you building a faithfulness to the Lord, a love for your family with Christ's likeness? Sharing the gospel with your friends and neighbors? Are you growing in love and maturity and getting ready for eternity? Or are you somebody who's just happy to skate by? Yeah, you're a genuine believer. Nobody does that. But you're happy just so at that minimal level. I'm not really going to push towards growth. I'm not going to push to move beyond sort of this lowest level Christianity I can have to make sure I'm in the kingdom. Is that you? What are you building on your own life? What are you building on the church? I mean, again, the, the, the foundation is the church. Uh, in one sense, he's talking specifically to leaders like Apollos and Paul and Cephas, but really it goes beyond it. to each of us. All of us are called to serve in the local church, to use the gifts, the specific gifts that God has given you. What are you doing with those gifts? Are you putting them to work? Are you working for eternity? Or are you just working for what is temporary in this world? The next big vacation, the next new car, or whatever it is. Just to put it in practical terms, let's say we have an event on a, on a Sunday evening, an outreach event. Uh, you have a choice. You can sit there and say, you know what? I think I'm just going to stay home and watch TV because my favorite show is on. Now, it just doesn't make you not a Christian, of course, to do that, but you say, that's what I'm going to do. Or you say, someone who will say, you know what? I'm going to come out. I'm going to come early and help set up some tables, <laughs> use the gifts that God has given me. I'm going to usher for the event if needed i'm going to invite a friend to see if he or she will come and serve in any way i can you're building something that lasts you're working building on the church something that will last beyond the grave you're working for the kingdom and friends are you laying new foundation are you bringing the gospel where it's yet to be heard are you bringing the gospel to people who don't have it yet And that's one of the reasons why I've said one of my prayers and my hopes for our church this year is that we really begin to look out beyond us into our community and really seek to bring this foundation, which is Christ, into our community more and more so. And not only here, but around the world are we looking to support and to care for our missionaries and to see the gospel go forth into whole nations who don't yet have it. Wasn't it encouraging to watch the little video of the Millers out there? Uh, serving the Lord on the other side of, the, of this world. Willing to leave everything to go and lay new foundation. Where it's yet to be laid. And then to seek to build upon that. Build well on the foundation which is Jesus Christ. And lastly, verses 16 and 17. Protect the church as the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. The church is the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. Look. What he says here in verses sixteen and seven: Do you not know that you are God's temple? Uh, You know that's an amazing, surprising statement. The temple—there was only one temple in all of Israel's history. It sat there on the hill in Jerusalem. That was the only temple. They didn't have multiple temples like many other religions do. That's the temple of God. That's where God has chosen to put His Spirit's dwelling. And here Paul says, "No, no, no! You, church, you Christians in Corinth, far away from Jerusalem, you are the temple of God." Because you are the place, as he says here, where God's spirit dwells. Now the you there is plural. Um, so sometimes you hear someone say, you individually, are, your body is a temple. Uh, that is a completely true statement. comes up in chapter six, actually, in verse 18, where he talks about our bodies being a temple. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody about cigar smoking the other day. And uh, I, I said, they said, you know, the Bible says your body is a temple, you shouldn't smoke cigars. And I said, uh, you know... Uh, there was incense in the temple, smoke, just so you know. So I don't know if our bodies are temples. No, I'm not advocating for cigars. I'm just saying, I don't think that verse supports that idea. Uh, I think the point there in chapter 6 is that when it comes to sin, clearly sinful issues, to make sure you're using your body uh, in a way that glorifies God. But the point here is a you plural. He's talking here about the church as the temple of God, the place where His Spirit dwells. We together, when we gather, are his temple where God's spirit dwells all around the world. Verse 17, he says, interestingly enough, if anyone destroys God's temple, and God's temple... Did have times in which it was destroyed in Israel's history. Uh, There was the Babylonians who came in and knocked down the temple. Uh, There were the Romans who came in the first century, 70 AD, and knocked down the temple. But both of those were God orchestrated. They were done by God's command and according to God's will. That's not what he's referring to here. He's talking about those who seek to destroy the church. If you do so, he says, God will destroy him for the temple is holy. And you are that temple. What does he mean to, to destroy the temple? Can the temple leave? Can can God's church be destroyed? Well, in one sense, no, right? Jesus said, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Uh, Until Christ returns, there will be, his gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth. The church will grow. It'll stay strong. There's no way to defeat the church. Nobody in this world, no dictator, uh, no false teacher, uh, nobody can destroy the church. It will last until Christ return. It's God's promise and his command. That being said, individual local churches are destroyed all the time. And how are they destroyed? By the very thing he's talking about here, by a spirit of divisiveness. How often do you know when you see a church that it comes to its end because of a split? Because the people in that church just can't get along because they're divided over something so minute and unimportant? And the church has to eventually close the doors, sell its facility, and give away its resources because it's come to its end. The church can be destroyed, the temple can be destroyed on its local level by the very thing he's arguing against here, a spirit of divisiveness. And so what is he saying? Protect it. Protect the church as the dwelling place of God. He himself is in your midst, and he's holy. So recognize his presence. I would imagine, friends, if, if Jesus was the pastor of First Baptist Church, um, that would be a pretty amazing thing, right? Jesus is the pastor. My guess is a lot more people would be want to be here to hear Jesus preach. And my guess is, too, that you'd be much more careful to be, to have a spirit of divisiveness or gossip if Jesus was the pastor here. <laughs> you would probably be a little bit more afraid of, of speaking out against the uh, other brothers and sisters in a church or having a spirit of divisiveness if Jesus was the pastor. But guess what? <laughs> Jesus may is the pastor in one ultimate sense, but he is present mightily by his very Holy Spirit. And he sees and knows all that we do. That's his point in 17. Recognize that God's temple is holy. His dwelling is with us. And you are that temple. But also take great courage in this, friends. We're not alone, as we've been saying, as we talked about last week. Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. When I go away, I'm sending you my spirit. And he'll be with you. We are the unique place that God has chosen. Not just us here, but every local church, Christian church around the world, is the place where God has chosen to have his spirit to work in us. To bring our hearts to worship him. To mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. To bring new people to himself. To encourage us when we need encouragement to convict us, when we need conviction to lead us, when we need guidance, to equip us when we need to learn. Friends, maturity is to work for the unity of the church as the temple of God. As we said, we are already united in Christ. We are already a family. Maybe the best way I've heard it was John Stott explained it this way. A family is a family no matter how they act. They're already one. They're already united. You're brothers and sisters, no matter how you treat each other. And yet we know there's a certain way in which a brother should be treating his sister. And there's a certain way in which a sister should be treating her brother. In fact, we would even say to our kids, and I'm sure every parent has, if you have more than one kid, you said, hey, act like brothers. (laughs) Hey, stop treating your sister that way. She's your sister. We know there's something inappropriate about being divisive with each other. In the same way, friends, in Christ, through His Spirit, we are one. But He calls us again and again to keep in step with the Spirit, to pursue in practice the unity that He's given us. May God help us do that. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, we do thank You so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would use this sermon series looking at various passages that talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. To encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. To bring our hearts to worship. Lord, help us to see this. This is, this is not just theology. This is not just a sermon. That we are talking about the very presence of God with us as a church. Strike us with a, a deep realization of that reality. And you're with us because you love us, because you care about us, because you're doing a work in us, Lord, of bringing us together in unity, of molding us into the image of Christ, and bring our hearts to worship. Lord, I thank you, we thank you this morning for First Baptist. I love this church. Got to watch you. I got to watch you work here all the time, and transforming lives, and comforting those who are hurting, and drawing new people to yourself. We pray, Father, you would do so all the more. Help us, each of us, each member of this church family, to guard against division, to pursue unity as we trust in your very Spirit's presence. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.